right, well, it's good to be here. It's good to be back in Scotland twice in a few weeks. Uh, we like it. It's kind of could, kind of could grow on us, you know. It's like, yeah. My granddad loved Scotland. Really did love it. And uh, he 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 raised Aberdeen Angus, so that's partly why he he loved it. And he drank a scotch every night until he was about 93 years of age. He ate about five meals a day and drank a scotch every night, and he lived till 97. Now, that, that doctor might be a, an interesting case study, but that was a good declaration. The reality is that if it actually came to pass, you need another job, which is interesting because going to have such a healthy city. Because uh, I had a real sense of the ladies in this place. There's something about you here. I don't... Um, um, and Daughters of Job, I think, so I, I'm, I've read the whole Bible, but I haven't, like, memorized it and studied it line by line. Like, ask Andy for that kind of detail. He's better at that than me. But, but um, the Daughters of Job, I think, are the only, it's the only place, I think, in the Bible where the daughters are named and the boys aren't. Because they're, they're, uh, it's the only place. And you actually happen to have a daughter of Sarah, cause you, a daughter of Job, because you named one of your children Kezia. Um, and uh, so... Um, yeah, I feel like it's about time you got named in this church. I feel like it's about time the girls got like named. I'm not saying you're not, and I know you're valued and loved, but I felt like there was just something the Lord wanted to do this morning. Um, and, uh, and so if you're, if you're not a man, stand up. <laughs> um, so um, I, I feel like the Lord wants, this is what the Lord wants to say to you. Um, he's seen you. Um, he knows you, and he values you. And I think for some of you, this has been the great battle. Am I seen? Am I known? Am I valued? And he, and he wants to say to you today, you are seen, you are known, and you are valued. He's, he's heard you, and, and there's going um, to be a real kind of tribal thing that happens amongst you. Um, like, and you're, you're not going to be ashamed of it. It's going to be a real, like, we're seen, we're known, we're heard, we're loved, we're valued. You know, it's kind of like, you don't, you're not going to have to say, because I don't like this anyway, but you're not going to have to say, let me lead, I'm a woman. It's like, it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's not going to be like a, um, any kind of a, oh, how would you put it, rebellious, feminist type of thing. It's just going to be, it's just going to happen. It's just going to be this recognition. And as you move together, uh, uh, something greater as you come together as some of the parts of, of, the, of the daughters of Job, as it were, and the daughters of Sarah in this place are going to kind of come together in such a way that you don't have to work at it. You don't have to put any effort into it. I, I actually think there might even be like conferences, but you don't have to call them women's conferences. Like they're just going to be like, oh, actually, we're just going to do this thing. And, and somehow, Loads of women come. There might be a few men as well. You might let them in. But, but you're not, do you, does this make any sense? You're not going to have to label it. You're not going to have to go, oh, we're women. Let's label it. So, Father, I, I really do ask, and I believe this today. I believe there's like a coming out party for the girls in, in this church. Maybe it's in Glasgow. Um, it's like a real kind of celebration. Um, and, and some of you have been waiting for it. Um, some, of you, some of you have just been sitting in the, in the sidelines just waiting this moment. Father, I pray, let it be now. Let it be now. And I, I pray too, there's some of you that are evangelists, women evangelists. If that's you, are you called to be an evangelist? Um, just raise your hand for a moment. That's you. And if not, maybe we just need to do something about that. 
and find the evangelists, you know. Father, I, I pray specifically for a harvest, uh, a harvest led by the women evangelists, uh, a, a real, like, and I pray you'd give um, unusual ideas, um, ways um, of, of leading people to Jesus through, uh, and actually there's not very many, I Father, raise up them all. Raise up the women evangelists. Put them on the map, I pray. And let there be a real move of God here um, uh, that touches, especially some of the, the poorer communities around here, um, that would really touch some of the women in the poorer communities um, who, who've, who haven't had a voice. Maybe they haven't even had a life. Father, I pray that there will be a movement of evangelism that would truly bring life to those that don't have life, and it would rise up from this place. And I, and I thank you, Father. I thank you. Um, there are women here who ha don't feel they've been seen, heard, known, or valued. Um, they've done everything right. They've raised their kids. They've done everything they need to do, but, but it's their time. And, Father, today I declare that it's their time. It's their moment. It's their season. And uh, I, I pray that there will be sort of like a, um, a, a mighty... Um, raising up like a, like a stage, like a scaffolding that's, being, that's built by the men here that will raise a platform for the women to be everything that you called and chose them to be, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> women of Hope. They've named it down here. Is that what you're called anyway? Or is that how oh, you call yourselves Women of Hope? That's cool. That's cool. There's a lot of stuff going on. Sarah's and Job's and Women of Hope and stuff like that. All right. Well, it's been, it has been great to be here and um, some old friendships, new friendships. Um, yeah. Father, I just ask, release your word this morning. Release what you want to say and not what I think is a good idea. Just release it. Reveal it. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. Mm. That prayer's for me because I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, anyone here that's infertile, you suffer from infertility? Anyone trying for a baby, kind of a baby? You're a complete... Uh, there are a lot of children, I get, get that. Anyone here trying for a baby? Any mums and of children that want to be grandparents that aren't grandparents yet? You're a 100% fertile church. I was going to say this doctor's really good, you know, but no. Is there a family? Oh, there's a lady over there. Okay. Are you standing up for, a, for your daughter? Is there anyone? You have someone in mind, don't you? Why don't you stand up and represent them? Is there anyone, anyone else? All right. Well, um, one, Sue and I have um, prayed for infertility a lot, but um, we actually got a, a text this morning with a photograph of a family I would imagine dedicating their baby in Munich, Germany, and somebody sent it to me and said, oh, you prayed for um, this, this couple um, July last year, and today they were dedicating a little baby that looked about three months old, you thought, probably. So, um, and uh, so I just know that I can't leave this place without making sure that we take care of this. So some more of you stood up. So that's, anyone actually standing up for themselves? Or are you all standing up for other people? It's okay. I just wanted to make sure. Is anyone standing up for themselves? That, and we pray a very simple prayer. Um, it's a really simple prayer that, that you would conceive, carry, deliver healthy, full-term babies. So if you're standing up for someone, you might just want to make sure that you don't, you know, kind of pick up the wrong prayer. I don't want, I don't, I don't want the wrong people. Get, I mean, 
We actually stayed in somebody's home for a month who wasn't trying for a baby that actually wanted a third baby and they got pregnant while we stayed in their home and we never prayed for them. We didn't. So we don't know what that was about, but, but we, we actually really do have a lot of confidence about this. So Father, I pray that everybody that's represented here, um, the people that are being represented, the, the men, the women in these relationships, um, the, those that want to be parents, Father, I pray right now that you would release um, an anointing, that they would conceive, carry, deliver healthy, full-term babies. God, we, we just bow in adoration that you would do this, that you would use us, that this um, assignment that you've given Sue and, and her healing of 30 years ago ha- has become a, uh, a consistent um, sound that we release and that you have consistently responded uh, to this cry, to this prayer where we're humbled, but we also know that we mustn't stop and that um, the original design of man was to, to go forth and multiply. And uh, so, Father, we, we release that prayer over everyone represented him. We look forward to the, to the story. We look forward to the photograph. We look forward to the testimony. Uh, above all, Father, we're asking that you would end the years of cycles of pain, of disappointment. You would end it even this day. And for, and for that one family that I think everybody knows who they are, and I don't, that you would touch them right now and that they would conceive, carry, deliver healthy full-term babies, whether it's endometriosis, polycystic ovaries, any incompatibility between male and female, uh, any lack of sperm, any anything that's wrong with eggs or sperm, anything that's getting in the way, we say end that today, remove the obstacles and release the egg, the sperm, that there would be a pregnancy very, very soon in that particular family and that everybody that's standing for someone else, that those people would conceive, carry, deliver healthy, full-term babies. And whether it's done by natural means or if there's any here that are going for IVF and are a little hesitant or wondering, is that okay, Father? We just say put their minds at rest and bless them and bless the doctors and we thank you for the genius of science and medicine and what you've done. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the baby in Munich, for Joshua David there in Munich. Thank you for his his testimony of, of his birth and his life and do it again for the honor of your name, I pray. Amen. Um, you and I are meant to be different. Not you and I are meant to be different. We together are meant to be different. Um, we're meant to be different. And uh, Jesus talked about two things. He talked about salt and light. And uh, I'm grateful to Bill that he gave us the understanding because I'd been taught forever that, that you know, the whole thing about, you know, salt was, uh, you know, that it preserved things. And then he said, no, it actually makes things taste better. Amen. Definitely on your steak, no question about it, and your fries. Steak and fries without salt, bad idea. Salt makes things taste different, makes them taste better, and light enables things to be seen. And it's very clear when you read it with that lens. And you and I are meant to be different. We're put on this planet to be different and to make a difference. And, and we're not put on this planet to preserve it. We're actually put on this planet to make it taste better and look better. That's what we're meant to do. It's, uh, and somewhere, somewhere we've, we've missed some of that. And um, some time ago, and, I, and there may be one or two of you who have heard this before, and um, 
but this is where I'm, I'm going to run, and I'll, I'll, I'll just use it to maybe some release some things as well. Um, and I, I, uh, I started thinking through, because I, I love kingdom. I teach kingdom a lot. I think sometimes it gets a little bit confusing um, when people talk about the gospel of salvation, the gospel of the kingdom. Hey, it's all in the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel of salvation is in the gospel of the kingdom. Um, problem is the gospel of the kingdom may not be in the gospel of salvation. But it is the gospel of the kingdom. And, and it's interesting that Jesus told Peter, he said, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. And I think we've spent a couple of thousand years trying to do something that Jesus said he would do. And we failed to pick up the keys that the Father gave us to do what he asked us to do. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Another verse, uh, Jesus said, it's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure. He's excited about it. So maybe we've had a little bit of difficulty trying to build a church because the Father's not quite as excited about us doing that because he said Jesus would do that. But he said, we get the keys to the kingdom. So I, I started wondering and, and played around, and it'll probably go on for the rest of my life, but what, would, what are the keys of the kingdom? You know, it would be really nice. It would have been really helpful if Jesus had said, it's my Father's pleasure to give you the keys of the kingdom, and here's the list. Like, here's the 13 points, the 13 keys. Take care of these. It's kind of like they're hidden. So um, I, as, as many are, am just on a journey of trying to understand what they might be. And um, I, I've noticed also that people quite like points in preaching, and uh, I, I just have. And I, so I've, I've gone for some points lately, and it helps people take notes. So I noticed some pens are out. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. And, um, you know, Abraham was the father of what? Faith. Okay? He was also, um, he was looking for a city. His builder and maker was God, had foundations, yeah? Did he find the city? I know you're not probably, I, I like interactive a little bit. Did he find the city? He didn't find the city, but he's the father of faith. Well, I think that is a really big clue, you see? I think some of us go through our lives thinking that we're actually meant to find something instead of realizing that the journey is really what it's all about. You see, if he'd found the city, maybe he'd have been known as the father of finding cities, he might have been. And then we would have forever measured ourselves against whether or not we found the city. And we'd have beaten ourselves up and missed the fact that actually he's interested in us living by faith. Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith? He didn't say, when I come back, will I find lots of people who found cities? He said, when I come back, will I find people who walk by faith? You see, we're members of the Christian faith. But I think sometimes we get frustrated when everything doesn't work out. But actually, all he's measuring us by is whether we live by faith or not. And I think some of you are probably in the same category as me. And it's like, shouldn't I have worked some things out by now? Shouldn't I have solved some things? Shouldn't, shouldn't everything have been put in place? Maybe, but maybe not. And I actually think that he's really happy if we keep living by faith. And, and you don't need faith when everything's gone right. You actually don't need faith when the blind eye just opened. You need faith when you're standing in front of the blind eye and it's yet to open. You need stand with faith when you're standing in front of somebody who's desperate to have children, who can't have children. You need faith before it. Like at the dedication, you don't need it then. That's just an encouragement. That encourages us today to go, hey, we're keeping going. But, but it still requires faith when we stand in front of the impossible. And, and you see, we, we're meant to be different. And, and we live, uh, the way I put it is, we live by different rules. 
Our rules are, are not the rules of the earth. We live by faith, not by sight. That's what, that's what the word says. Some time ago, um, it's, um, that's a little over a year ago now, um, we, my wife had actually followed this person's journey of cancer much closer than I had. Um, we were in America. They were in England. But there was one day when I woke up and I knew I had to do something. And, I, and so I made contact with a man who was um, really uh, in the last days of his life. And I, I made contact with him and I said, look, I have a prophetic word. That prophetic word is that I will see cancer healed in the last days of someone's life. Now that requires something. I don't know whether you've worked it out but it requires that you're in the last days of someone's life, which is the last place I really want to be, to be perfectly honest. But I, I, I find myself drawn to that place, and, uh, which is why I felt the prophetic word was for me, because not everyone's familiar with the last days of people's lives. Some people aren't as familiar with that, and it just maybe happens occasionally in someone's life. But I've been a nurse, and I've been around a whole bunch of scenarios. So I contacted him and said, look, I've got a prophetic word about healing somebody in the last days of their life. Do you want to be the guinea pig? So he was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And so Sue and I had a FaceTime with him at lunchtime on a Thursday, actually at Bethel. We happened to be doing a school there. The sanctuary was empty. So we went in there with an iPhone, did a FaceTime, walked around and said, it was here that we know that Bill has pointed to and said cancer fell. It was here that this miracle happened. It was here, and we walked around, and we released faith to this man. And he lived for 40 days. I, I believe with all my heart he was, he, he was, he was going to live. But he taught me a lesson. Those 40 days just taught me. I think I was in contact with him nearly every day. Um, his wife's actually writing a book, and she said, could you write some things about those days? Because somehow... Uh, we, we became friends in 40 days. We, we just did. Something happened. We, we joked. There were various jokes because he's in hospital and I have some medical stuff around me. So we could joke about various things and celebrate some little victories along the way like bowels opening, you know, and just celebrate them over. Yeah, and it was, there was a lot of humor in it, but there was a lot of faith in it. But he died. But he died after 40 days and somehow it was like this lesson. It was like, I, I, it was just this lesson for me of don't ever be afraid of standing in front of the impossible. In fact, I'm going to take it one step further. We should always be standing in front of the impossible. And I think what the enemy wants is us to stop and go, oh, it didn't work out. And Jesus says, will I find faith? Will I find faith? That's all he's looking for. He's looking for people who are willing to, to stand in front of the impossible and speak life into death and light into darkness. You see, we live by, we live by different rules. We're not measured the same as others. And that's it, all he really wants us to do. And, uh, and number, number two, um, along if you're taking notes and you want to put numbers there as well, we, we have a different map reference. Uh, you see, we... We really do. We have a different map reference. How many of you have a prophetic word that makes you nervous? If, if there's not enough of you, I'm going to set Barbara's organization loose on you and tell them, get some prophetic words on you. Because prophetic words are meant to make you nervous. They, they are meant to create something inside of you that it's like, well, I don't know how I get there. No, you have a different map reference. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different system. It's like your GPS in the car pretty much will determine. You are going to get there in 55 minutes. It's about 17 miles, you know, and then all of a sudden it says, you know, incident ahead, you know, here's a couple of other options. Do you want a four-minute delay or a half-an-hour delay? All that kind of stuff. Now, we, we don't have all of that detail, but we have another detail. We have a different map reference. It's the prophetic. 
And I, I, I talked about it these few days, but not all of you have been there. I want to encourage you that I do not believe there is anything more powerful in the Christian life than the power of a prophetic word to carry you through the days when you don't know what's going on, the days when you're not quite sure whether this particular job is the one for you, but you have something else. You have this word. You have a different map reference. I want to encourage every one of you who has that kind of prophetic word. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep believing. Keep declaring. You know, sometimes you, you just have to sit with it. You can't make it happen. And so you just keep declaring. Other times it's like, well, no, the prophetic word is I'm going to have this career. So you go and train. But there is nothing, nothing like the power of the prophetic. See, the prophetic is an encounter with a God who knows your future. And I I just want to encourage you, if you have those prophetic words, sometimes the nervousness makes you think, maybe I should shut it down. Maybe I should just like forget that one. Don't. Maybe you keep on having loads of repeat prophetic words. And you might even be thinking, ah, I don't know whether I need another prophetic word that tells me that one day I'm going to be wealthy. One day I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to do that. I want to encourage you, don't shut it down. There is such power, as it were, such energy in the prophetic. And it's even in the tension because a prophetic word basically says your life will look different in the future. And sometimes that tension makes you go, oh, I don't like the tension. Like, I'm poor today, and the word says I'm going to be wealthy. It's like, I don't like the tension. Couldn't you just make me a little bit better off today, and I I won't worry about the wealth in the future? It's like, no, in that tension, there is an energy that is released from heaven to you that enables you to start pulling tomorrow into today like a tug-of-war rope. And you start pulling. I just want to encourage you. We, We are different. We have have different rules. We walk by faith, not by sight. We have a different map reference. It's the map reference of our prophetic future and our prophetic destiny. Don't don't ever quit on it. Don't ever slow down on it. Because the nature of the gospel is prophetic. The gospel, its very nature, is to say there's a better future because the enemy has been defeated in your past and there's a promise of a better future. Uh, this is one of my favorites, and I, I felt like there were a couple of people who really needed this piece this morning. Which I was like debating, do I go here? And, but uh, it's, the story, it's the story of David, and um, it's very simple. You know, David, if you go one, uh, you don't have to, but 1 Samuel 16, uh, verse 11, um, David is looking after the sheep. He's, he's not called in to meet the prophet, which is like, Dad, come on, you know? Um, I, I spent a lot of time with a wonderful um, healing evangelist, Jean-Luc Trichel, and I've watched him everywhere I am. He always brings all of his kids, whoever's there, if it's Heidi there, Randy Clark there, the heavenly man, we spent some time with him, and I watch him and he's like, he just brings his kid, and he's no, there's no doubt about it, he's not embarrassed at all, he just lines his kids up in front of anybody he can get to pray for his kids. Uh, it's just, he just does it all the time, it's like, Samuel, um, Sorry, Jesse, what were you thinking? Like you left one boy out there. Well, from verse 11, the boy left alone. You go seven verses to verse 18. Then one of the, and this is um, in Saul's camp. Then one of the young men answered and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor. valor. This is you, by the way. This is a description of you, a warrior, one prudent in speech, and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. Especially the handsome man. You liked that bit, didn't you? I knew you liked that bit. But, but it's interesting because it, it really does describe you, skillful musician, but then you spoke, 
And, there, and he mentions prudent in speech. And it, it really was a description of you. But here's what I, the point of my message, apart from telling him some nice things about him, um, is that in seven verses, everything changed. What, what happened? What happened is this. And it is verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. He was anointed. Seven verses, forgotten, out looking after the sheep. Just, just the kid, he's out there with the, looking after the sheep. Seven verses later, he's a mighty man, a skillful musician, great words. What was the difference? He was anointed. He was anointed. Anointing makes you different. You are different. If you then go to 1 John 2, um, somewhere in the Bible, pops up eventually in my Bible. I don't know why John never comes out, never behaves out. Anyway, it says, no, there it is. 1 John 2, 27, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. Here's the truth. We are anointed. Our name means little anointed ones. Christian means little anointed ones. You see, sometimes I think we miss that the keys of the kingdom are the simple truths. We are members of the Christian faith. The nature of the gospel is prophetic. The word Christian means we're anointed. We're different. You and I are different. Here's one of the things that all of us, I think, need to learn, and that is when we show up, what goes with us? What anointing goes with us? What is the unique thing that we bring into the room? Don't, don't look around and go, I, I want to be like that person. No, no you want to be like you. What's your anointing? What is it that makes you different when you walk into the room? Because you're different. Whether you like it or not, you're different. You're a Christian. You're a little anointed one. The interesting thing is, of course, that we, we were called Christians by people outside of the Christian faith. So sometimes we're like a little bit reluctant within, as it were, to be looking around. But I would encourage you, what makes you different? What is it that happens uniquely through you when you show up? Because God shows up on you. We, we know. One of the things we know is that people get pregnant around us. I mean, they do. It's just, it, it's an anointing on our lives. I used to think, oh, isn't that a bit arrogant? That was that British thing creeping up on me. It's like, I'm getting rid of that thing. No, this happens when we show up because God's on it. You're anointed. You are different. See, David there, seven verses, completely different. Dad leaves him out with the sheep, and then the king's men are talking about him and saying, there's a mighty man, a skillful musician, prudent in speech. Get hold of him. The only thing that happened between those two verses was he was anointed. You are anointed. You are different. Find out what it is about you that's different and pray into it, believe it, walk into it, and stand with boldness and confidence and say, you know what? I carry this. People get healed of mental illness around me. Carry those sort of things to the world. You are different. Number four, we have a different clock. I've taught on this a lot. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we have. We run by a different clock. And I think we need this more maybe in this generation than any other. Why? Because you read the newspaper, it's telling you a load of junk. It's defining the times by what's happening instead of defining the times by the clock of heaven. Uh, wise men understood the times. That's, that's the Bible. Whenever there were wise men, they understood the times. They, they knew. It said in the book of Esther that the wise men who understood the times, the, the sons of Issachar 
The sons of Issachar understood the times and therefore knew what to do. What time is it? You can watch the news and it will tell you it's this time, it's that time. You know, it, it's, it's you know, recession time, it's this, it's that. It's, there's truth in it, I get it. But that's earth's reading of the clock. We have a different clock. Jesus told the disciples, you understand red sky at night means this, but do you understand the spiritual times? Do you understand these times? You have a different clock. You don't need to be looking at the clock of this earth. You look at the clock of heaven because we have a different clock. And when we start to understand what time it is, as it were, in heaven, we can bring that time to earth. I love the refugee crisis in a sense. Why? Because it's got people starting to think. And, and some people are going, it's a refugee crisis. No, it's an evangelistic opportunity. It's the time of one of the greatest opportunities in this continent. We, we go to a church in Germany and the associate pastor's wife learned Farsi. She just decided, there's, there's refugees coming to this church, so I know what time it is. It's time to lead them to Jesus. It's time. It's a great opportunity, so she learned Farsi. You go to that church and they're all huddled around her, these refugees at the end of the service. She's the mum of this group. She learned Farsi. She understood what time it was and did something about it. She didn't go, oh, the politicians of Germany have got this wrong. They brought a million refugees in. How bad are they? How wrong are they? She didn't go with what the newspapers said. She went with the clock of heaven and she saw an opportunity and she decided to do something about it. We have a different clock. We have a different dad. We have a different dad. I, I, I could talk about this for a long time, do conferences just about this. Occasionally I do. But the one place, and I, I did minister this area over the weekend, but I, that you can't say it too many times. That there are some of you in here, you're, you know, this is set up tear down church, isn't it? I'll guarantee you that half the people who do set up and tear down in this church work really hard all week. I'll guarantee they're the people that are out in the city, they're doing the hard type jobs, they're doing the, the, you know, the general practitioners, the bank managers, the insurance brokers, the people who sit in, they work hard. They don't get the attention, they're not the people up here with the microphone, with the guitar. They're, they're not that group of people necessarily. Now they do loads of set up and tear down in their own right, I get it. But there's that other group, they work hard. And sometimes... If they're anything like me, because I was one of those people, I'm never in a set-up tear-down church, but I was always cooking and catering and doing other stuff. Sue and I did that for years. And, and, and I had a little encounter with God, a little encounter where God told me that I was an elder brother. Because I was out there in the field going, wow, 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 it's not fair. Why do these people get all the attention? Why does God show up for them and not for me? And then one day I heard the Father say, I've always been with you and everything I have is yours. You see, those people that are working in the field need to hear the voice of the Father. And I love the people who do the set up and tear down, but sometimes it can feel a little bit thankless because you, you'll do this and then you'll go to bed late and you might not have got any attention in church and there were some young kids that showed up who got tattoos all over themselves who say one word, healing breaks out, revival breaks out, and you've got to go back to work the next day and sit at a desk and do the hard slog. We have a different dad. And he says, I've always been with you. And I've seen you setting up the chairs. I've seen you doing that hard grunt work. I've seen you in the city for 10, 15, 20, 30 years working hard and not getting a whole lot of attention. I've seen that and I've got something to say to you. I've always been with you. And everything I have is yours.
And since I heard him say that, my life is different. It's different. We have a different dad. We have a different hunger. Now, it is getting towards that great time of the week, Sunday lunch. And uh, our natural hunger is that when you've eaten a big meal, you're not hungry, at least for a little while afterwards. But spiritually, it's different. When you eat a good spiritual meal, it makes you hungrier. See, we have a different cry. And the Bible teaches us this. There's two verses. I love these two verses. Anybody who knows me, been around me, knows I love these two verses. It's Moses. After all that he had seen, and he saw more than anybody else probably, the most extraordinary things that Moses saw. But after the second trip down the mountain, he said to God, show me your glory. He'd seen the Red Sea part quail provided water out of rocks he had seen the supernatural showdown with the magicians of Egypt he'd seen a leprous hand come out healed and he'd been on a mountain with God for 40 days and 40 nights listening to God and after that he says show me your glory and Jesus the boys walk with him for three years incredible They see the multitude fed. They see the dead raised. They see blind eyes open. They see lepers healed. They see water turned into wine. And Jesus says to them, greater works than these shall you see. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. You'd think if you'd seen all that, you'd think, I'll start a school of ministry. I'll write some books. I'll have a TV program and I'll tell the world everything that I've seen. But Jesus said, don't stop there. That was to make you hungry for more. It's the nature of the kingdom that we have a different hunger. It's the nature. I think Jesus meant what he said, that we would see more. But I think more importantly, he said, I want to start a culture which expects more. I always say it this way. Imagine that Jesus was in the high jump in AD 32. He jumped the high jump at the Olympics in AD 32. He jumps four meters, 13 feet, for those who haven't converted like me. 13 feet, and he stands on the podium. The laurel wreath around his neck and he goes, I did it, four meters. Nobody will ever jump that high. There'd be no high jump in the Olympic Games. Why bother? He didn't. He said, 13 feet, but greater works than these shall you do. Always believe that there's more. We have a different hunger. It's the nature of the kingdom. It's a different hunger. And the cry that came out of Toronto and the cry that came out of Argentina was one cry, more Lord, more Lord. We have a different hunger. It doesn't matter what you've seen. There is more. And we have a cry to make a difference. And I'll close with this and we'll cry together because you see, it's a different kingdom. It really is. Revelation 11.15 says, The kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. You see, we're different. We have a different map reference. We have different rules. We have a different clock. We have a different hunger. We are different. We're anointed. We're different. So why have we tried to fit in? We're meant to be different. We are different. We are bringing a different kingdom. And I believe that we are to have a cry to make a difference. I love this in the Psalms. Mario Murillo, the man who gave me a prophetic word about preaching in stadiums, taught me this. I love it. It's the psalm that says, Where deep calls unto deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. I love this. He says a waterfall is a water spout. And, and the water spout is formed when there is a storm in the ocean and a storm in the sky and the storms meet and form a water spout. 
He said the cry is this. The deep calls unto deep. It's that there is a cry on earth, and for every cry on earth, there's a matching cry in heaven. And when those cries, as it were, meet, a water spout is formed. He talked about Hannah in, in, in the Bible. He said, Hannah, Hannah had a cry. I want a son, but God had a cry, a matching cry. I want a prophet. I want a son. I want a prophet. And a water spout formed. You see, the very cry of your heart has a matching cry in heaven. It's why when God said, ask and I'll give the nations, it, it wasn't an idea. It wasn't a suggestion. It was an invitation to cry out because God's been waiting. And he's been waiting for you. He's been waiting for Scotland to find its cry again. He's been waiting for England to find its cry. He's been waiting for Europe to find its cry because God wants countries. God wants cities. God wants continents. He's just waiting for people who would dare to cry, who would dare to cry and find the matching cry in heaven. You see, those that are praying for babies, you, you have no idea what matching cry there is. You have a cry for a son. You have a cry for a daughter. But God has a matching cry. He, he wants an entrepreneur. He wants a, a lawyer. He wants somebody who brings justice. You see, there's a match in these things. And he's waiting for us to learn to cry, to find our voice. You can't come here, can you? It's impossible for anyone to come here who's a preacher and not think about John Knox. He had a cry. He had a cry. Give me Scotland. It's, it's, at one level, it seems outrageous, but I found myself preaching on a stage for the first time in 2015 under a banner that said, Europe shall be saved. And I laid on the banner and said, God, I'll give the rest of my life to that statement. It's become my cry. It's become many of our cry. Europe shall be saved. But you only have to change one letter and make it Scotland shall be saved or make it Glasgow shall be saved or Edinburgh shall be saved or wherever it is that you live. You see, he wants us to make a difference and our cries make a difference. And it's a great place for us to start, to begin to cry out. So why don't you stand and let's cry, begin to cry out together. Let's begin to cry out to God Maybe you're from Glasgow, maybe from Edinburgh, maybe from somewhere else. Maybe you don't know where you're from, and that's okay. But start to put a cry on your lips. But let's start with this. Let's start closer to home. Let's start with family. If you have family members right now who don't know the Lord, start to cry out for them to be saved. Start to cry out for them to come home. Just start to cry out. Begin to cry out as we close out this morning. Begin to cry out. Find your cry. I actually think that there's something that we need to do. We need to find our cry. We need to find our voice. He's waiting for a generation that will find their voice. Release your cry for people. But we're going to move into cities. And we're going to move into this nation. I, I believe that he wants you to find your cry. Maybe you've got some members of your family sick. Start to cry out the cry for them to be healed. Start to cry out for their breakthrough. Start to cry out for Glasgow to be saved. Start to believe. Start to believe your cry can make a difference. He's waiting for a generation that will dare to cry out. He's waiting for men like him, for their voice to be released. For Glasgow, for Edinburgh, Dundee, Perth, Aberdeen, for the Isle of Lewis, for Orkney. Cry out. Cry out. Cry out that God would raise up. A new generation, men and women who would speak for justice, men and women who would raise businesses for kingdom purposes. Cry out, cry out, cry out, cry out that Scotland will be saved. You see, we're different. We're different. And you can make a difference with your life, 
with your voice, with your cry, with your resources, Scotland shall be saved. Scotland shall be saved. Scotland shall be saved. The United Kingdom shall be saved. Raise up the men and women who are dare to cry in Jesus' name.